0: I'm Ben, and I just became a gay uncle. I'm Tommy, and I've been Ben's gay uncle for 30 years. Are you ready for a double dose of gay uncle magic? Buckle up. Ask your gay uncle, 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 ask ask him all the questions that you have in your brain. Ask your gay uncle, you know that your uncle will do his very best to explain. He'll do
1: his very best to explain. I'm starting this out, Ben. I got a question for you. Hit me. What do you want your life to look like or be like when you're my age? Okay, everybody, Ben's smiling, and he's looking up at the ceiling, and he's blinking (laughs) his eyes. I'm having
0: a Disney moment. I'm having, like, a Disney (laughs) heroine moment.
1: (laughs) Where's the little mermaid when you need
0: her? (laughs) Um, I am imagining five-year-old kids, maybe, like, two or three. I'm imagining a family. That's what I'm imagining, like a husband and children. And maybe like a beach house or like a weekend home in the mountains.
1: (laughs) Nice. I just might put out there that me at age 59, I'm like, I'm not so sure I want a five-year-old. Oh. (laughs) Maybe a 10-year-old. 10-year-old, okay. (laughs) 10, 12, there you go. You see yourself with a family. Absolutely. Yeah, I think
0: I'd be be a great dad. I mean, I, I was a nanny for eight years, nine years almost. It's like the best training
1: ever to be a dad. Yeah. I remember being at a, a New Year's Eve party once. It's like 10 minutes before midnight. I'm with my friend. And we look at each other and we go, what's the ritual going to be? I think I have mentioned that I like ritual. Mm-hmm. And so... I'm like, there's no ritual. We need a ritual. So she knew the host. So she went to the host and she said, "Um, what kind of ritual are you doing? And she goes, oh, I hadn't thought of one. Okay, I'll do one. Let me get something. Okay, she grabbed a bell. She like rang it. She brought everybody around and we were in a circle and there were like 30 people there. And somehow we all grabbed a chair in this huge kind of ballroom that had this ancient weird piano in it. And she got really quiet and she said, in about a minute, it's going to be New Year's. And here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to come up with details about what your next year is going to be like. I just want you to imagine how you're going to feel in this next year. Because the universe is going to provide the details. You get to decide how you want to feel. And then she rang the bell. And she said, for a full minute, we're going to be in silence. So she rang the bell. And Mm. like for a minute, I was just in this great place of openness and joy Mm. and it was like the best ritual ever that's so delicious oh my god it was and my last year was pretty great so i put that on you don't give me detail although i do like detail but um how do you want to be feeling
0: i want to feel i'm going to feel like invigorated and challenged and active and adventurous and like i'm going to feel like a strong sense of like community And groundedness. Those are the feelings I'm gonna feel.
1: That's great, Ben. I hope, I hope I'm alive to see you in that.
0: You will be. What this is what you said when when I am your age, right? When I'm 60. This is 30 years. I'll be 90. Trusses live so long, Tommy. (laughs) We do. Go ahead and ask your gay uncle. Okay, I've got a question for you. Yay! So this question comes with a couple quotes.
1: This is a detailed question.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. It's more like, it's more like a topic that we get to discuss. Why do so many gay men end up in entertainment and the arts? Ex- and I know there's like a
1: lot there. <laughs>
0: what were you, gonna, you were going to say something sassy. What was it?
1: I was. I was like, excuse me, Mary. I am not in the arts or entertainment. <laughs> I do hair. <laughs> Now that you've got your sassy
0: answer out of the way, I'm going to read you two quotes. Or should I save them? Maybe I should save them until partway through the discussion.
1: Yeah, yeah. Do that. Okay. Why are so many gay men in the arts and entertainment?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, first off, I wonder if that is true. It's I really do. Tommy, it's true. I mean, like, where are you getting so Where many... are you getting your numbers from? There might be just as many homos spread out in all the other industries. Like lawyers and doctors and teachers and politicians and soccer players, no, and football players, no, uh, and and, and uh, swordsmen, uh, no. Tommy, I, I
0: don't even think it's something that we have to debate. I mean, it's it's just like a given fact that if you were to like line up, you know, a cross section of hairdressers. Nearly all of the male ones would be gay, or at least like a vast majority of them. If you were to line up a bunch of people that work in musical theater, probably 80% of the men would be gay.
1: Okay, so here is—I'm I'm I'm putting on my Jesus Christ hat again with a parable. I was at Jacob's Pillow Dance Festival— this is not about Ricky Tribuco and the ballet dancer. Ricky
0: Buttafuco what was his name? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Tribuco. And actually, Ricky I said me. I said Ricky was a ballet dancer. He wasn't. He was in the modern program. Oh, Martha Graham. So I made a little money by picking up artists because I had a convertible at the time, and they thought that was kind of shishy. And so I would pick up visiting artists. One of them was in the the Swedish Royal Ballet. And he was straight. And he couldn't understand why there are so many of the male dancers in the United States were gay. And I said, well, why are there so many straight dancers in Sweden? And he said, we can make money off of it. And it's a good living. And I thought, oh, right. Gay boys don't necessarily have to make a living to feed an entire family. At least when I was growing up. Because if you were gay, quote unquote, you were not going to have a family because you couldn't have a family. And, you know, like adoption and artificial insemination, all that stuff was not happening when I was growing up. And so there wasn't that responsibility. So I think that might be one of the reasons why there aren't as many straight people in The ballet world or in the dance world? Tommy, I'm going
0: to 100% disagree with you on that because no 12-year-old like deciding on what after-school activities to do thinks, oh, is this an after-school activity that's going to lead to me feeding my children in 20 years? There's no way it has to do with that. I think there's something about arts and entertainment that inherently attracts young gay people
1: overseas, there's an acceptance for heterosexuals in the arts that is there because it's a valid way of making a living. You can actually make a living off of it. Whereas here, people who are in the arts are oftentimes considered the fringe. So a painter is a fringe. You know, if you're a poet, oh my god, you're not going to make any money. An actor, you're going to be one of a thousand actors who live on one block in
0: Hollywood I'm not just talking about like starving crunchy granola artists. I'm talking about Hollywood producers and people in uh, interior design, which can be an incredibly lucrative job, disproportionately are gay men.
1: I think really it, it lands on acceptance and that in the arts generally we're more accepting of things that are different and we applaud creativity. And I think that is a part of the genome that is in homosexuals.
0: So you think that maybe there's literally whatever gene makes you more likely to be predisposed to being
1: gay also makes you more likely to be a little creative? (laughs) A hairdresser? Well, this goes back to a question from, I think it was episode one of, is it nurture or nature that makes you a homo? Uh And I think one could go, well, is it nurture or nature that makes you creative? And I think it's both. Okay, I think it's time for a quote. Quote number one.
0: So, this is from a book called Straight Jacket How to Be Gay and Happy by English author Matthew Todd. He talks about the trauma associated with growing up different, essentially. And so, this is in reference to uh, a lot of LGBT people being attracted to ent- the entertainment industry. He says, At a time when we are overwhelmed by the danger of our existence, clutching for a rope to pull us out of the pit of fear, This shiny, unreal, neon world of artifice, of glamour, of making something beautiful out of the dullness, offers us a way to escape, to disconnect from reality. Fantasy is often the first way
1: we dissociate from the world around us. Well, I would agree that fantasy, which is imagination, is a way for us to disassociate uh, in a healthy way, a really healthy way. It's a way for us to negotiate and to manage Um, our surroundings, which could be problematic or traumatic or certainly difficult. Here's my next parable. This was when I was doing mushrooms uh, and I was doing them with my friend David Buttafuoco. David. (laughs) (laughs) David. And um, he said he was going to be my guide. He was not doing mushrooms with me. And he said, I want you to write out questions for what Um, you want answers and insight on. It's like, okay, great. So the one I wrote was what happened to me in second grade. And I remember first grade very well. And I don't remember anything about second grade. And I remember a little bit of third grade. And my first memory in third grade is me being in one of those big uh, cement tunnel, like in a playground. And this was long before those groovy little wooden, you know, castles. We had cement. Uh, That's so Cold War. Yeah, right? I remember sitting there going, your best friend's name is Christopher. He has blonde hair. And your teacher's name is Mrs. Rosenberg. And I remember crawling out of this cement tube and going off to my classroom. Just like being rebirthed out of cement. I know. That was the question I asked David on my mushroom trip. What happened to me in second grade. And what came up was you looked around your room in second grade and the teacher wasn't speaking your language and you looked at everybody else in the same room and nobody spoke your language and you jumped out the window and you came back when you thought it was kind of safe.
0: That was an epiphany that you had on mushrooms. Yes. Did your... uh The sexual abuse that you experienced, did that happen in second grade?
1: No, 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 no. That was when I was uh, in sixth grade. I was 11, fifth grade. Yeah. No, it's not connected to that at all. I literally think what it was, Ben, is, is that I looked around and I was like, oh, I'm a fag. I'm a fairy. There's nobody here like me. Go away. And so I disassociated. I left. Wow. As a child, we're looking for where do we belong Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and where do I fit in? Where are my people? Absolutely. And if a child who's queer looks
0: at an industry of music or art or theater or something like that and sees people that they feel like are like them or like the person that they might become, they're more likely to go into
1: that industry. Absolutely. I think it's the acceptance. That's the initial draw from like centuries. I mean, you know, let's look at actors back in Shakespearean time, right? They got to play women. Yeah, right. The oldest profession is being a prostitute, and the next oldest profession is being an actor. Really? Yeah. And they were both vilified. You know, you weren't supposed to be an actor because it was satanical. It was hearsay. It was just, it was awful. You lie for a living. Yeah, right. People were already different who were there. And so because I'm different as an LGBTQ person, then I'm going to go where there are different people. Like attracts like. Birds of a feather, right? And the magic is that entertainment and the arts
0: are incredibly powerful at creating change.
1: The interesting thing will be to see if in 30 years from now, when you're raising your five and seven-year-old kids, do you say to them, do you want to be a drag queen? Or do you want to be president? Or do you want to be both? Because you can't. So that there's so much acceptance that they feel comfortable going wherever their heart leads them, as opposed to, I'm going to go where I know I'm not going to be made fun of. So what about you, Ben? Why do you why do you think you went to the arts? Let's get specific.
0: Why did I go into the arts? Um, what's really attracted me to the notion of creating, whether it's as a performer or as like a material artist or as a producer or anything, as a musician— What's attracted me to the notion of creating is that you might make something that people really like and that people flock to and that people congratulate you for and that that helps people and that introduces them to ideas outside of themselves. And it's that. It's the notion that you might create something beyond yourself that is very magnetic and valuable. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah that you could give people an experience that dazzles them.
1: And do you think that's connected to your sexuality at all?
0: Maybe. I don't know. I have no idea. It's really hard to say. But when you zoom way out and you like look at the you know, obviously stereotypical presumed numbers that we're talking about, it must be in
1: some way. I mean, I went into the arts because I love to tell stories. Then whether that's my father, Tom Truss, who is an amazing storyteller, or my mother, Susie Truss, who is an amazing storyteller, and I just wanted to be like my parents. So, you know, who knows if it's it's genetic or for its environment. It's got to be both. Because it's not concrete, right? It's not concrete. It's not the concrete butthole that you were birthed out of in third grade. The tube. <laughs> Welcome to the arts.
0: <laughs> Everything we've mentioned is 100% valid. I think it's acceptance. I think there's some sort of inherent trauma trying to be escaped from. That was a good question, right? I, th- I mean, it wasn't really a question. It was more just like a topic, but. It, yeah. It was philosophical. Yeah, yeah. Philosophical would be a great drag name. Philosophical. She's like, hi, I'm Phyllis. Oh, my God. Philosophical. What's up next? Quickies? God, I can't believe I just called it quickies. Lightning Uh. round is what's next. Stop it. Stop
1: it. Okay, ready? We've got eight quickies this time. (laughs)
2: Lightning Lightning round.
1: Here we go. Quickie number one. I hope you get struck by lightning. (laughs) What's the most important meal of the day?
0: Oh, dinner. Hmm. dinner at dinner it's like it's like this grand family kind of it's always like the biggest meal of the day it's at the end of the day you can finally take a load off in europe dinners last like four hours dinner it's the most luxurious meal
1: um i'm gonna say snack (laughs) which one
0: Uh, i like 10 snacks a day
1: yeah exactly okay question two what dating app do you prefer uh grinder i would say none of them i think they all suck they do all suck yeah. What do you like about Grinder?
0: I don't actually like it. I feel like it was kind of like the first one. So it's the one that most people are likely to be on. Uh huh. So if I were to use a dating app, instead of having to like figure out scruff or figure out something. Oh, although you're saying dating app, I would say if right. it was dating app, I would say probably more along the OkCupid Tinder line of things. But if it was like a hookup app, I'd say Grinder just because I think it's like the largest one that most people are on.
1: Yeah, I agree. Best Easy appetizer. Apples and peanut butter. Yours is incredibly easy. Mine is also easy, but it's a little bit of work. So those small red peppers, cut them in half, roast them. Like you put them in the oven for 45 minutes at 350 degrees. That's
0: already not easy. That just removed the easiness. The second an oven got It's actually
1: quite easy. You put them in there, and then you take them out, and then you put chevre cheese in them. That's it. That's it? Yeah. Just ro- roasted baby peppers with uh, chevre. Uh-huh. Chevre. Chevre.
0: I mean, I guess that's kind of easy. You
1: can get a little fancier and, um, like, drop some balsamic vinegar on it.
0: Okay. I mean, your appetizer just got way not easy. That's like an intermediate appetizer. Really? You'd call that intermediate? We know my appetizer was easy because it was literally just three words. Apples and peanut butter.
1: Whatever. If it's three words, then chips and dip.
0: Okay, like chevre.
1: Okay. When did you know... This is this is kind of connected to our longer question. When did you know that you were gay? Oh. <laughs> I have this memory of
0: being in 7th grade and there was this guy, I don't even remember his name. He was like some athlete and I didn't really know him personally, but I remember being in the hallway and like looking, he was wearing shorts and like and I was behind him and I remember looking at his calves and being like
1: those are amazing calves. <laughs> hmm. And that's probably when I should have known. You know, this one, it's like, there are so many layers to it, right? Like, when did I really know and accept it? I don't know, like two weeks ago, I think. This is the lightning round, Tommy. I know. (laughs) Two weeks ago. I know. You're like, just now? Yeah. Um, When I was probably 12, and I saw some comic books that were... (laughs) My parents, I think they had X-rated comic books. And so it was like popeye fucking olive with this giant penis and a couple of them were gay and i remember always being drawn to the penises your parents had gay explicit comic books not explicit they were like black and white drawings and they weren't just gay your parents were so much cooler than my parents okay next question excellent so how old were you when you knew for sure that you were gay
0: uh for sure for sure sure is very different oh yeah for sure, is very different. Yeah, I mean, that happened in a lot of stages. I mean, I was one age when I knew that I was attracted to men. And at the time, I thought I was attracted to men as well as women, which still remains true, but the percentage has shifted over the years. And in college, I dated women and then men and then women and then men again. So I kind of went back and forth. And at that time, I would have called myself bi. And I would say it was upon graduating college that I was like, yeah, I think I'm more attracted to men than women. And that's when I knew.
1: Yeah, I think for me it was when I tried to convince myself not to be gay. And that was when I was 23. How did
0: you try to convince yourself? Do you went through your own version of conversion therapy?
1: I actually remember walking on Wisconsin Avenue, and I remember saying, dear God, if you let me not be gay, then I will marry Jill. (laughs) (laughs) Who was my best friend at the time. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Tommy, imagine if you were married to Jill right now
0: and had like four kids.
1: Long pause. (laughs) Um, My heart sort of dropped. uh, (laughs) And my eyes got kind of crinkly sad. And my life would be so different. I mean, we'd have kids. That would be amazing. You wouldn't have gone into
0: the arts. You would have had to have afforded to feed your kids.
1: Um, I think Jill and I probably... She was my first dance partner. Jill and I probably would have created, like, some sort of weird duet, dance You know, she's got perfect pitch. She plays piano. She's amazing. You'd be like the Von Trapp
0: children. You'd have, like, a traveling Nutcracker ballet.
1: We'd be the Osmonds. Yeah. Okay. When wearing your standard basic black evening dress... Do you recommend a string of pearls, big, loud, gaudy beads, or a simple modern chain of some sort?
0: Modern chain. A modern chain sounds like a biker dude to me. That doesn't sound like elegant and feminine. Maybe like a string of pearls, but I would say black pearls to match the black dress. Ooh, nice. Black pearls are more expensive, too. They're kind of like shiny and silver, and they're beautiful. Yeah, I like that. Secret option D, black pearls. Uh-huh. I'm, a, I'm a homo. We always go for secret option D. <laughs> <laughs> I, Double meaning implied. Yeah.
1: Um, I like the gaudy beads. It feels a little iconoclastic. Yeah, yeah. Okay, what do you prefer, chocolate or vanilla?
0: I used to always prefer vanilla, but lately, I would say now in my like late 20s, I started preferring dark chocolate.
1: Chocolate, all the way. Where was your first kiss?
0: Oh, my God. It was with my high school girlfriend, and it was in the rain, on campus in Geneva, Switzerland. It was like Valentine's Day, and I would—I had just made her a um, a scavenger hunt that went all over school, and it was adorable. And she finished the scavenger hunt, and it was raining, and we kissed, and it was like it was like the Notebook. It was like a movie. Nice. Like I could literally hear music playing.
1: Um, mine was in a stairwell at Leland Junior High with Diane Barnes. She's an African-American woman, and she was much taller than me, so I was standing on the step above her. And she said, I'm I'm gonna teach you how to kiss. And she kissed me. Both of
0: our first kisses were with black girls.
1: There's something there.
0: There's something there.
1: I kinda, kinda go in that world of acceptance. Yeah. Is that the last one? That is, that's the last one. Ding, ding.
2: Hey, it's your friendly neighborhood producer, Jackie. We hope you're enjoying Ask Your Gay Uncle. If you'd like to ask a question for Tommy and Ben to answer on the podcast, leave us a message at 512-981-7332. Or you can email ask at askyourgayuncle.com. You can find us on Instagram at askyourgayuncle or Twitter at podcast. Thanks for listening. A moment of culture.
0: So our moment of culture is a novel called Less by American novelist Andrew Sean Greer. Um, He's a queer novelist, and it's actually kind of funny how I discovered this book. So I was in an airport bookstore en route to Mexico City last year. Um, I needed a book to read on the plane. I picked up a random book, judging it entirely by the cover, and I started reading it on the plane on the way to Mexico City, only to discover that this book, which I knew nothing about, was about a gay main character who was headed to mexico city and i was like wait a minute is this the twilight zone (laughs) what are the odds that i happen to pick a gay book where the guys headed to mexico city anyway i fell in love with this book um it's called less it was the winner of the 2018 pulitzer prize for literature and spent 45 weeks on the new york times bestseller list it is this wonderful comedy about a man fleeing the humiliations of love middle age and failure by accepting invitations that lead to a trip around the world and back At last to face his final demon himself Um, I pulled that little excerpt from his website Um, but what I will say about the book is that it's real it's funny it's vulnerable it's beautifully descriptive and it totally made me cry a few times and I know he's awesome because after reading the book I just like wanted to be his friend (laughs) so um, I have a little passage from it that I want to read yay Uh, okay Arthur Less is the first homosexual ever to grow old. That is at least how it feels at times like these. Here in this tub, he should be 25 or 30, a beautiful young man naked in a bathtub, enjoying the pleasures of life. How dreadful if someone came upon naked Less today, pink to his middle, gray to his scalp, like those old double erasers for pencil and ink. He has never seen another gay man age past 50, none except Robert. He met them all at 40 or so, but never saw them make it much beyond. They died of AIDS that generation. Less's generation often feels like the first to explore the land beyond 50. How are they meant to do it? Do you stay a boy forever and dye your hair and dye it to stay lean and wear tight shorts and jeans and go out dancing until you drop dead at 80? Or do you do the opposite? Do you forswear all that and let your hair go gray and wear elegant sweaters that cover your belly and smile on past pleasures that will never come again? Do you marry and adopt a child? In a couple, do you each take a lover, like matching nightstands by the bed, so that sex will not vanish entirely? Or do you let sex vanish entirely, as heterosexuals do? Do you experience the relief of letting go of all that vanity, anxiety, desire, and pain? Do you become a Buddhist? One thing you certainly do not do. You do not take on a lover for nine years, thinking it is easy and casual, and once he leaves you, disappear and end up alone in a hotel bathtub, wondering what now. So, if you want to read less, um, you can order it on Amazon or get it, you know, anywhere. Andrew Sean Greer. Yeah. Well, you, you showed it to me. You, you texted it to me. Or did you slide me a DM <laughs> of it? You have to use that phrase correctly, Tommy. Otherwise, you're going to expose yourself. <laughs>
1: As being old and stupid. For being a total boomer. And, and sitting in a bathtub <laughs> with a, a pink middle and a gray <laughs> upper top.
0: Listener questions. Listener questions. I
1: This is from Carrie in Boston. Hey, Carrie in Boston. Dear Gay Uncle, I am in a long-distance relationship with plans to become same distance this year. Unfortunately, this pandemic has created a bit of a delay, not only for these plans, but also for our regular visiting schedule. In a way, we are lucky that we are used to maintaining a relationship over video chat, but we are also used to seeing each other in person every other month. It's been a while. Any tips on how to keep things fresh, fun, and flirty for a pair of long-distance lovebirds during this time of existential dread? Hmm. Carrie, I do have some tips.
0: I I wouldn't call it dating, but I have like a fun long-term flirt that's been going on since the beginning of quarantine with someone that I've never met who's quarantining by themselves in a cabin in New York. And who knows if it's going to turn into anything, but we've managed to stay like really fun and flirty. And the way we've done that is that we've been kind of switching off back and forth each week. One of us will come up with like a fun FaceTime activity and the first one I did which like blew his mind was I created this game called The Game of Corona Centration and it's like concentration where like those like 16 squares and you flip them over and you try to like get two matching squares like, like foot and foot or whatever and then you get to make them disappear well this was The Game of Corona Centration and I literally created it with, like, colored paper that I drew on with markers, and they had little covering flaps, and I, like, taped them all. This was a lot of preparation went into this, Carrie. <laughs> and I taped them on the wall, and, and they were all numbered, and he would, like, he'd be like, okay, uh, 4 and 12. And I would open them, and if they were both, like, shirt and shirt, then I had to take off my shirt. And if he opened one that said that he had to take off an article, then he had to take off an article of clothing. So it was like strip concentration. And then there were other squares thrown in throughout, like truth or dare kind of moments where one of them was that we, we would both have to share a secret with each other. Another one was like that he had to, oh my God, I made him sing the first Noel while doing a sexy dance. <laughs> so fun. It's really hard to be sexy while singing the first Noel. doom 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 Exactly. It was so fun. And by the end of the game, we were both naked and it was like sexy and flirty. He kept being like, Ben, no one's ever done this for me. This was so awesome. Thank you so much. And then the next week, he surprised me. He got in touch with my roommate and had my roommate get all the ingredients for vegan chocolate chip cookies and like hide them in a bag in a closet. And so I go... On Facetime to meet this guy, and he's like, "Okay, look in this closet in your apartment and see what's inside." And it was all the ingredients for chocolate chip cookies, and and he had the ingredients too in his cabin in New York. And each time we made them together over Facetime, and each time one of us added an ingredient, they, that ingredient represented something, and it was like an ac- a mini activity that we would do. I love those games, Ben. It was it was so fun. So, Carrie, I would say think outside the box, get really creative. You're like. Planning a surprise that the other person gets to experience, and one person is responsible for it, and the other person gets to enjoy it, and then you flip back and forth. Yeah. It's like you're taking someone out on a date. You're giving them an experience for an evening that they just get to, like, be along for the ride and enjoy. It might feel silly, but lean into the silliness, and you're going to find some magic.
1: His is, like, the difficult appetizer. Mine's a slightly easier appetizer, (laughs) um, which is to come up with three things and to say to the person you have to choose one of these. Spring, summer, fall, you gotta choose one. Regular potato chips, salted vinegar potato chips, barbecue potato chips, peace, justice, love. So that there are like hard ones in there and then there are easy ones in there. I did this uh, with this guy who's dating via text and he was off at a conference and was like, oh my God, this is a nightmare. You have to you know, bring a little joy to my life. So I, so I said, okay, I would send him three words. And I said, you can only choose one and you cannot explain or justify your reasoning. Mm, yeah. You know, another another thing is like bring them into the bathroom with you when you take a shower. I was just going to say that. She did say flirty. She said flirty. Carrie. I like the idea of engaging all the senses. So how can you have your partner's senses engaged Like, are you reading a poem while they are eating grapes, and the poem is about grapes? Like a scratch-and-sniff FaceTime date. Yeah. Oh, here you go. (laughs) Send him your underwear um, that maybe you've worn for a day. That's a scratch-and-sniff moment. That sure is. And then have him open it, and while he's opening it, you can be showing him George O'Keefe paintings.
0: (laughs) Send him the underwear, but do it as a surprise and be like, hey, you're gonna get a package, don't open it until, you know, tonight or whatever. And then tonight, have that thing prepared where you're like, okay, you're reading this thing to him, you're doing whatever, you're being sexy, you're in the shower, and then just when it's the right moment, you're like, okay, open the package.
1: You gotta love it, kid. There you go, Carrie. Go
0: ahead and ask your gay uncle. Hi, I'm Kevin from Minneapolis. I'm curious what differences you see in gay culture from the generations before you and then the generations after you, especially the less obvious, subtler differences. A big difference I see, which is such a beautiful difference, is younger LGBT kids coming out sooner, earlier in their lives and being comfortable with that, not having shame around it and dating earlier Like having like their first gay kiss at like 12, 13, 14, like their straight peers would, as opposed to maybe earlier generations that had it when they were in their 20s. And I think that's really beautiful. It also comes with sometimes the younger generations sometimes not understanding the challenges and traumas that the older generations experienced that is like baked into their DNA and their culture sometimes.
1: This might be a can of worms. But I'm doing it anyway. Open it, Tommy. So I think there are the markers of what a gay person looks like or how they act, which are different from generations to generations. Mm -hmm. There's a broader way that a gay person can present themselves now than when I was growing up and the generation before me.
0: Okay, lean into that. Tell me what those ways were, because I'm not familiar with the ways that gay people could present themselves.
1: Well, before me, you couldn't present yourself. And the way that we knew somebody was gay is, is that they were effeminate, and they spoke with a lisp, and they had a limp wrist. Right? Like, that's how we were made fun of. We were called limp wrists, because our wrists were flopping, and we, were, <laughs> we did gestures. You know, our breathy, effeminate voice, right? When I'm, like, making fun of someone who's gay, this is the way that I talk. Right, like, I don't talk like this. I've (laughs) I've never met a gay person
0: with a lisp in my life.
1: I had a lisp. I got rid of my lisp as a kid. Because it was so gay? Yes. (laughs) Oh, you better believe it. Really? Oh, yeah. Really? Oh, absolutely.
0: I was made fun of. I have never met a gay person with a lisp. Unless it's, like, a gay character
1: from Catalan and they have a lisp because they're spanish. If you look at stereotypes, right? Like when people are making fun of gay people, they raise their voice, they get breathy and they add a lisp or some sort of like sibilance. I yeah. usually it's not a lisp. Usually it's
0: like a like, like a lot like overenunciation, a lot of like sibilance and a lot of Yeah. 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 It's like a feminization of speech patterns is really. Let's what we're be careful about.
1: there because I'm not sure that's true. Right, because I don't think all women. Uh, no, no, no. But I'm talking about like a stereotypically
0: gendered feminization of uh-huh. speech patterns. Uh-huh. Is that offensive? Do I have
1: to cut that out? No, no. I don't think it's offensive. I think, I think it's problematic. Um, but we're talking about things that are problematic because we're saying the stereotype, and so the stereotype is going to slam somebody. Okay.
0: Well, let's instead of instead of focusing on like stereotypes of generations, let's focus on. What Kevin said he wanted to hear about the subtle differences.
1: That's what I'm wondering is if the subtle differences is around speech pattern.
0: Oh, oh, around speech pattern.
1: And I wonder if younger queers don't need to give off some kind of signal that they're gay by having a slightly lighter voice or a softer voice. That in fact, the way that they get to say that they're gay is by going,
0: oh yeah, and I'm gay. So you're saying that in previous generations, people would purposefully put an affect on their voice in order to display their
1: sexuality? I don't know if it was a conscious choice, but my guess is is that there has been a change in vocal timbre over the years as more acceptance has happened.
0: What is that change that you're seeing?
1: Well, I'm not seeing it. This is all hypothetical, right? This is all a theory. Well, what I know, I'm not really answering his question. I'm just coming up with a theory. Sorry, Kevin, we're really floundering here. Yeah. Do you? Are there
0: any changes that you've actually witnessed that you for sure have seen?
1: Okay, sure. People are out sooner. People are uh, proud of their sexuality. Um, People don't say marry anymore. They don't have to speak in codes. Because before me, people were speaking in codes. Like pig Latin or like what? <laughs> yeah, Ben. No. What codes? Tell me what codes. Mary. That's a code? Yes, it is. Did you have a date with Mary last night? Oh, yeah, Mary and I went out. That's where Mary comes from. Because oh. it could be two guys talking about their date without saying their date's name was, oh. you know, Marlon Brando. They would say Mary. How was your date with Mary? Oh, my date with Mary was great. I had
0: no idea. There's something about Mary. That just like changed the whole movie for me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm not sure about that.
0: The scene with the cum in her hair just like rings true now. I get it.
1: (laughs) So did Mary do your hair last night? She did. Did Mary give you a string of pearls? Do you know that term?
0: A string of pearls? Like coming on you or something?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I gave Mary a string of pearls last night.
0: That's what you should wear with that black evening gown, by the way.
1: Absolutely. Mary. Here's one.
0: I'm seeing a lot more leaning into gender fluidity and a spectrum of sexuality than in previous generations. I think in previous generations, it was a lot more gay or straight. And that was it.
1: I, I wonder if like a subtle difference is there's more pink.
0: Like in clothing? or Yeah, what?
1: like pink in clothing. That may not be a gay subtle difference, but... Now guys, quote unquote, can wear pink.
0: Guys could wear pink. Pink was like preppy in the 90s. Pink was like Polo Ralph Lauren.
1: Yes. And when I was growing up, you couldn't wear pink, period.
0: No, no, you couldn't?
1: No. I mean, is there anything in terms of posture?
0: Po- like literally posture? Well, presenting.
1: You know, it's how people present.
0: You're looking at like heuristics. Like what are the like visual, the stereotypical visual markers that we use when sizing somebody up that we've never met to try to d- discern whether they're gay or not. Right. I don't know. I have terrible Gadar. It's really bad. I have, it's awful.
1: Well, and maybe it's that you don't need to have Gadar because you know somebody is out or not. You don't have to guess.
0: Uh, I also have a really terrible sense of direction. I think that's just me being really bad at life. <laughs> Some of my instruments aren't as finely tuned as other people's. I would agree, I would agree with that. <laughs> you do,
1: Ben. You get lost so easily.
0: It's really bad. <laughs> It's like a miracle that I even showed up to this podcast recording session. I didn't get lost.
1: Well, you did think today was Thursday instead of Friday. I'm on Corona time. I mean, there's another difference, which is we met in bars. That's how you met somebody.
0: But didn't you guys have, I feel like I've seen this in like TV shows, like Six Feet Under and stuff like that. Weren't there like phone numbers? It was like a gay phone service where you'd call in and you could like, it was like speed dating, but over
1: the phone for gay guys. Didn't that used to exist? There were, um, they were called 900 numbers. You would pay and you would call up and you could talk to anybody and it would be like a gay hotline. Meet Robert, he's hot, you know, and you would call up and he'd be like, Hey, I'm Robert. I'm stroking my dick. What are you wearing?
0: Was Robert making money off of this? Was this Robert's job? Like
1: yes. Yeah.
0: Oh, oh, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like a hotline where you'd call in and meet other people that were calling in in order to meet gay guys. I thought that existed.
1: I don't remember that. What I do remember is... Sorry, Robert. Yeah, we just fired you. (laughs) Um, There were voicemails. It's the 50-word description. I remember writing one. It was like, uh, what's in your closet? And my closet is uh, hiking boots, ballet shoes... Oxfords, flip-flops, three pairs of tennis shoes, a pair of clogs, an old pair of... You know, I like went through all the shoes that were in my closet. Uh, it's
0: so funny how the shoes in your closet say so much about you.
1: Oh, totally, which is why I did it. And then you would call this number, and then you would punch in my four-digit mailbox. 6969. And <laughs> you'd be like, hey, I liked your ad. This is where the shoes that's in my closet.
0: I have hiking shoes too, bro.
1: Yeah, and no one called oh why because i was living in dc and because it was way too creative for dc
0: i feel like we still haven't answered kevin's question i'm sorry kevin this is really hard
1: what about games games yeah are there
0: gay games oh gay games like settlers of Catan has a lot of wood
1: (laughs) no the gay olympics (laughs) Oh, oh, oh. That was not around for the queers before me. My ex went to Berlin once for for the Gay
0: Olympics, and he played in a basketball team, and he said it was like one
1: giant orgy. It makes sense. All right, Kevin, we did our best. Hey, listeners, let's hear what you think the answer is to this one, because we're not doing so great. Send
0: us what you think the subtle differences are between younger and older gay generations. You can tweet it at us. You can Instagram at us. What are the subtle differences? We're going to get to the bottom of this, Kevin. We got your back, buddy.
1: Okay. Generation Gap. The Generation Gap. The
0: Generation Gap. Oh, 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 oh. The Generation Gap. Gap, gap,
1: gap. Okay, ready? Yes. There were two Macs that came on the scene in the early 80s. What were they? Talking about Macintosh computers. That's one. What's the other Mac? Makeup. Nice, Ben.
0: Yeah. All right. All right. Okay. My question number one. Name one queer character on the TV show Friends. I never watched that show. I hated it. Um, I have no idea. Who? Here's a couple answers. Ross's ex, Carol, and her wife, Susan. Chandler's dad, Charles Bing. Duncan, Phoebe's ex-husband, who was an ice dancer. Melissa, Rachel's sorority sister, played by Winona Ryder, who tries to make
1: out with her. Cool. Okay, here's your next one. Giancarlo Giametti decided to throw a circus birthday party at what place for his partner, who was a fashion designer named Valentino? Um, And here's his quote. We had a circus ring with sand and mermaids on a trapeze. Fellini gave us costumes from his film The Clowns. Valentino was the ringmaster. There was uh, someone who came as a palm reader with a parrot on her shoulder. This was at a particular place. And this particular place also had Dolly Parton and she had bales of hay and live farm animals
0: oh my god um can
1: I get a hint where location
0: country at least or city New York City okay was it, was it like a hotel venue or are we talking
1: about no. like a larger... It's the club that was there in the, uh, I think it was started in the late 70s and was around for maybe three or four years. And it was shut down because of money laundering. It was shut down because of money laundering? Yeah, well, because there was way too much fun going on there. Like Dolly Parton having a party with live animals, and there is Coke everywhere. And Andy Warhol had his birthday party there. Bianca Jagger rode through on a white horse. Wait, <gasps> wait,
0: wait, 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 wait. Um, it's a number. Wait, 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 wait. Uh, the the studio of that famous artist. The studio of that famous artist. Uh, studio sixty-four. Really close. Studio seventy four. Studio eighty-four. Studio ninety-six. Studio fifty-four. 54. Yes. 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 <laughs> Thank you for mouthing 54 to me. (laughs) Okay, my next question for you is, name three Disney villains that were queer.
1: Oh, what's the, uh, in The Lion King, the what's-his-face's brother? Mm -hmm. Scar, I'll give you that. Scar, he's a homo. Let's see, Cruella
0: de Vil? Oh, interesting. I didn't think of that one. Why? Why is she
1: queer? Tell me. I don't know if she's queer, but she's certainly a fag hag. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's like a bit of a drag queen in there. Okay, yeah. I'll, I'll take that one. Yeah. Who's your character you played? Hans.
0: I don't think he's supposed to be a queer character.
1: Oh, okay. I don't think he is. Oh, the snake in um, The Jungle Book. Shere Khan. Yeah. Super queer. Super queer. Did he have
0: a lisp? Uh, he definitely had a speech thing going on, but part of that was attributed to the fact that he was a snake. So there was like a lot of sibilance. and he, right. he was very mischievous and yeah. sneaky with the way he talked. It was sort of a trick question because the real, the joke is that the question is really name three Disney villains because almost every Disney villain in the nineties was queer in some way. Ursula was a total drag queen. Yes. There was King Candy and Wreck-It Ralph. There's Jafar from Aladdin. There's Governor Radcliffe. In Pocahontas, there's Hades and Hercules. There's Scar, like you said, in The Lion King and Shere Khan in The Jungle Book. Yeah, I mean, that's a whole other bag of worms to like deal with. Is like why Disney made all of their villains uh. gender non-conforming or queer in some way in the 90s. Nowadays, a lot of villains are like super cisgendered and intense because that's kind of what we're vis- villainizing at the moment culturally.
1: Okay, ready? What was the sister group of Act Up that was born in the late 80s?
0: Oh, another ACT UP question. I don't even know what ACT UP is.
1: Wait, did you really just say that, Ben?
0: I mean, I'm assuming it's like some sort of like LGBT-related, potentially HIV-related group, but I don't know what it is.
1: Oh, okay. This is good. ACT UP was the organization that brought AIDS onto the map. And without it, nothing would have changed.
0: Onto the map, like into
1: the, into the political sphere of... The public spectrum. Got it. And they would stand in front of the White House... Every single day, screaming shame, 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 shame to Ronald Reagan, who never spoke the word AIDS in his presidency. Oh, yeah. Standing outside of National Institutes of Health and scream shame. Would stand outside of Jesse Helms, who was a senator from North Carolina, who was an absolute bigot and a huge homophobe. ACT UP would stand outside his home, screaming shame, shame, shame. So the pressure from ACT UP, the public pressure got everybody... To
0: admit that it was an issue and therefore act on it.
1: Yes. I didn't know that. Yeah. Without it, we would not have gotten a single cocktail. We would not have gotten anywhere. But what's the sister organization? I have no idea. Queer Nation. So Queer Nation, their mission was to wipe out heterosexism and homophobia in all its forms. And Queer Nation would go around and have kiss-ins they would go to Macy's, sit at the makeup counter, and men would get made up. Uh, I was a a part of, I loved Queer Nation. We stormed the Pentagon. And this was during the Don't Ask, Don't Tell. It was like, you know, homophobia. You weren't allowed to be a gay person in the military. And we put out all these flyers saying, grab your broomsticks, we're going to storm the Pentagon. And I remember we got a phone call from the Pentagon saying, what's your weapons? (laughs) And I remember going um let's see we have about 360 yards of pink material and we're going to be in high heels and have brooms you know they like literally thought we were going to come in with tanks and they were asking what we were storming <laughs> the pentagon with and so we went out and we made a giant pink pentagon on the grounds of the pentagon and we had brooms oh my god you know it was about a witch hunt it was all around being a witch hunt i love that yeah. And we had stickers that we would plaster all over Washington, D.C. And and in the major towns, we had people who would design stuff like one in every ten Boy Scouts is queer. One in every ten Jesus is queer. Jesus? Yeah.
0: Oh, just like as a, wait, what? <laughs> How many G's I are there? <laughs> well, you
1: know. If there were 10, one of them would be gay. Maybe more. Who knows?
0: Troy Sivon's song, Bloom, is about which aspect of gay sex? Bloom. Let's see.
1: Because is... I bloom, I bloom just for you. I bloom just for you. It's about your sphincter opening up to receive a deck. <laughs> it's about bottoming. Yeah, good. <laughs> I don't know who that artist Who's
0: that artist? He's an Australian queer singer, Troy Sivon. I'll send you some of his stuff. Okay.
1: Who was the first woman to be on the presidential ticket?
0: Oh, 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 no, no, I know this, I know this. It's, um, uh, the, the Republican, uh, uh, woman from Alaska.
1: Sarah Palin. Yeah. No. Mm. Geraldine Ferraro. Geraldine Ferraro. All right. She didn't have an English accent. She was a nice Italian. She was from the Queens. Jerry Ferrara. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Geraldine Ferraro. Who was her presidential counterpart? Mondale. When was this? Reagan was the one who won. That's a good one. She was amazing. A step forward for women, definitely. Two-part question. What do the following emojis mean? Eggplant. Oh, let me see. It's Italian food or um, an erect penis.
0: Uh-huh. Second one. The purple smiling devil face.
1: That means you're horny.
0: It means you want to fuck.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's like, girl.
0: And now this one is a little more to up to interpretation, but what does upside-down smiley face mean?
1: It means you like to either rim or be rimmed. Interesting. Like, sit on my face, or I'm sitting on your face, I'm upside down. Yeah. What do you think? I always interpret it. To be, like,
0: a flirty, subversive way to say that you want to be sexually dominated.
1: Oh, I could
0: see that. That's no right or wrong. That was just... So you definitely get that one right.
1: Yay! Well done. Okay. Miss America was stripped of her crown. Who was it and why? Oh. I think this is 1984 as well. A Miss America was stripped yeah. of her crown. That's so violent.
0: Um, it wasn't because there was a bomb inside and she had to, like, throw it in the air, right? Like... In... Ms. Okay. okay.
1: Um. <laughs> <laughs> it was Vanessa Williams. Vanessa Williams? It was Vanessa Williams. And Penthouse published some naked pictures of her. She had posed for them, but she had not given them permission to publish them. They were published after she got the crown. And the pageant stripped her of her crown. Wow.
0: What an enormous press storm. I bet in many ways that benefited everybody much more than whether it hadn't happened. It launched her career. Wow. Um, My last question is, I'm going to read some song lyrics in an outrageous accent, and you have to tell me the song and singer. Baby, can't you see? I'm calling. A guy like you should wear a warning. It's dangerous. I'm falling. There's no escape. I can't wait. I need a hit. Baby, give me it. You're dangerous. I'm loving it. Too high, can't come down. Losing my head, spinning round and round. Do you feel me now? Oh, the taste of your lips, I'm on a ride. You're toxic, I'm slipping under. With a taste of a poison paradise, I'm addicted to you. Don't you know that you're toxic?
1: No? I thought you'd get it way early. Um, let's see. Mariah Carey. Baby, hit me one more time.
0: <laughs> yeah, at least n- name a singer and song that would connect. <laughs> Do they not? That's how. No, Moran Carey did not sing Baby or Hit Me one more time. Which, who sang that? <laughs> it's uh, Britney Spears Toxic. Well, I, I enjoyed your reading of it. <laughs> All right, you win. Well done. I won last time. It was your turn. Yay! It's the Halloween.
1: My gunkle of the week is a bit different than other weeks. First off, it's not just one person, but a group of people. Couples. Same-sex couples. Second, I don't know any of their names. Third, I don't know where they lived. And fourth, I don't even know what they did. But what I do know is that they all posed to get their picture taken with their loved one when that was a dangerous thing to do. You can find this group of Gunkles and gaunties online by searching Vintage Photos Same-Sex Couples. Here are a few of my favorite websites where you can find them. LGBTQNation.com DangerousMinds.net And Ranker.com And when you get there, search for Same-Sex Couples Vintage Photos. You'll find an array of extraordinary images that all tell a story... You'll see men fondly leaning against men, women embracing women, caresses and handholds and looks that clearly say, I love you. There's a little context of what it meant to get your picture taken back then. It wasn't until 1901 that the general public could buy a camera, and it was called a brownie, and it was made by Kodak. Before that, which is when our Gunkel and gaunties of the week were getting their pictures taken, cameras were big clunky things that weighed up to 110 pounds and you needed a huge tripod to put them on you also needed mercury fuming boxes whatever the fuck that is spirit lamps and chemicals to take a photograph plus an assistant and on top of all of that there weren't many people who owned those cameras and those who did had studios so if you wanted your picture taken you had to find somebody to do it Set up an appointment, sit for it in their studio, and pay anywhere from a dollar to ten dollars a picture. And in today's market, that works out to be 32 to 325 bucks a picture. So here we have these same sex couples in the late 1800s getting their picture taken in a time when they would certainly be shunned and ostracized if anybody knew that they were queer. And most likely, they'd be run out of town or killed. So I have chosen these brave folks as our Gunkle and gaunties of the week because the second they stepped into those photographer studios, they stepped into harm's way. But they rose above their fear and said, I don't care. We want to be seen. We want our love to be seen. And we want a permanent record of that. And trust me, in these photos, you can see their love their power, their determination, and their grace. I find these photos and the same-sex lovers within them delightful, moving, and inspiring. Just what you want your gunkle or gaunty to be.
0: Thank you for listening to Ask Your Gay Uncle Yay! Come again next time for Queer antics and generation gaps And ganties and gunkles of the week And a little uh, TLC From your gay uncles Ben and Tommy
2: Bye Ask Your Gay Uncle is created by Tom Truss and Ben Palacios With production support by me, Jackie Anders Album artwork by Seth Shellhouse Theme song and musical interludes By Ben Palacios and Dan Reuter This episode features additional music By James Galea Special thanks to Matt Marr, the University of Texas at Austin QT Voices, and everyone who sent us questions. If you'd like to ask a question for Tommy and Ben to answer on the podcast, leave us a message at 512-981-7332 or email ask at askyourgayuncle.com. Find us on Facebook at Ask Your Gay Uncle Podcast. More information at askyourgayuncle.com.